0: Welcome to Wobblies and Wizards, I am your host, Logar the Barbarian, and today, my returning guest is Richard Rouen. Welcome. Hey, how's it going? Uh, it's, it's good, you know, there's ups and downs, that's how life is. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You got a few new things going on lately?
1: I do, I do. Since the last time we came on, I had, I had, uh, I had sort of planned to just do like a simple version of Enoch's Wake set in sort of like a medieval setting, just to just to have like a simple version of the rules out there and to see if I could like, you know, play around with those rules and make them a little more. And then my brain got hooked on the thing I was doing. And so I I came up with this Robin Hood game called Sherwood, uh, which has been a blast to work on. Uh, But it's kind of like, you know, it sort of took over a big chunk of my brain for about a month. Uh, And uh, so, you know, I, I, I now have like a, a, bachelor's thesis in, in, and <laughs> in Robin Hood media uh, <laughs> that I'm never going to write because I'm busy writing a game. So, but uh, yeah, and then I've got, got a couple of other things coming out right now. I have a, I've been doing two different things about kind of Hanna-Barbera inspired. Uh, one is kind of a series of cheap, free adventures that are kind of working have a working title of kid questions based on uh, the, the old, like a uh, family adventure, Johnny quest. And then uh, those are going to be freebies. And then I'm working on, I've got a cover kind of commissioned and working on a Saturday morning mysteries, which will be uh, sort of inspired by that like 70s mystery format that started with Scooby-Doo. So that's been, so I've been like, you know, now I've been binging like a bunch of Hanna-Barbera cartoons and their, their various incarnations. So we just had this discussion recently
0: that was on here. I can't remember who it was with, to be honest. I think it may have been John about the way we we visualize uh, how we play yeah. when we're playing and stuff like that. And I would say, it wasn't Hanna-Barbera, but it's it close, was like the Rankin-Bass stuff that used to come out has been a, oh, big, yeah. Yeah, yeah, a yeah. big thing for me when I'm out on the table. Now, that skeleton that was in, um, what's that? The, the Last Unicorn. Remember the skeleton hanging over the fireplace and all that? Oh, yeah. The, he, well, he wanted to wine. Those those cartoons and stuff like that and, and those older films like like Jason and the Agronauts and stuff like that are always things that like I have seen in my mind's eye, like those are what influences how I perceive these things. I don't yeah. think that's every generation. <laughs>
1: No, no, no. But like, yeah, like I was always like, you know, I kind of wanted to visualize Scooby-Doo a little more often. That was a little bit of how like Moonlight on Roseville Beach came about. Yeah. Uh, And I kind of wanted to like games that helped me visualize kind of that sort of like more tight, like we know this adventure is going to be over tonight, sort of.
0: Yeah. The great thing about those little cartoons, Scooby-Doo and stuff like that, the 30 minute episode format, you've got like a little, a little outline there almost that exists. Right an evening's game you know we can do one shots and things like that that works well i know light who's on here is 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 a pretty big scooby-doo fan. he's really he's he's probably more into it than i would expect at first he's got you go down to play in his his basement he's got some scooby-doo toys hanging out and things like that.
1: (laughs) nice nice, yeah nice yeah no I've, i've been a i've been a huge scooby fan most of my life and then uh you know, Johnny Quest was never on in the afternoons when I was growing up. Yeah. Except when I would go visit my h- cousins in Houston. So I like, you know, once or twice a year, I would get to see Johnny Quest on afternoon television. And then uh, like in the 90s, like the real adventures of Johnny Quest came out. And I was like, this is this is the greatest thing ever. I think. Uh, except it's terrible. Like it's, it's, it's writing is terrible. <laughs> any of the problems with colonialism and racism in the core show, but like their, their sense of like that 30 minute adventure was, was frequently just really on point.
0: And, and the Johnny quest thing became like, like I don't, I vaguely remember a nineties Johnny quest. I do remember nineties. I was more interested in other things besides cartoons.
1: Yeah. I was in grad school. And so like just anything that was on when I got home from like my nine o'clock, my not my after nine o'clock class and that, like in Texas at the time that was like coming on right then as soon as I got home. And so I would watch it and they, have the, they had this like, they bought 52 episodes for like one year. And so they they sort of just binged all 52 episodes, I think like on two nights a week for one year. And that was on Cart- Cartoon Network. And they were, it was Johnny Quest as a teenager. I, I'm, I more remember the older ones, but it's been so
0: long. I don't remember them that well. Like it, it's hazy. But what I remember the most are like, some of the book like when you say johnny quest my mind for some reason skips over and associates it all the time with like tom swift and like oh fuck, really yeah i don't know why like like those those little pulp like novels i was a I was was a i i spent a lot of time at the library But like, even like scooby-doo and stuff like that always reminds me of, like the hardy boys nancy drews the yeah, around yeah. and all that and i was really into those growing up i could I'd down a Hardy Boy or Nancy Drew book in an afternoon easy. It was constantly just geez, flipping through those old things. And those were a yeah. big influence on me. I, I would sit down and I'd, I'd write my own little books. In like, i nice. like reading binders and stuff. And they were always very heavily. I don't want to say influenced, ripped off of those. <laughs>
1: right right Yeah, mine was definitely encyclopedia brown like my kid my kid detective was definitely encyclopedia brown which was really confusing because i sort of grew up around libraries that had like all the various editions of encyclopedia Mm -hmm. brown and as like a nine-year-old i had no idea what an edition was or how many (laughs) times a book had been released so i was like oh over here like he's always fighting this one guy and then over here he's always fighting this other guy but you know I'm nine. What do I know? <laughs> <laughs> I like
0: those. I for, almost forgot about encyclopedia, but I did read those a lot when I was younger too. Oh, All yeah. right, everything. That was a voracious reader as a child. Am not allowed to say voracious on the air? I don't know.
1: It's <laughs> your show. No one can
0: stop. You. <laughs> uh, someone can. Someone owns the platform I'm streaming on. There's some rules. They can stop me if they'd like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Try not to offend. You, you, I, one thing I appreciate about, I want to, I want to get to something here. I'm going to put something I didn't say last time you were on is I had this whole, like, I, 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 I'm glad you did Roseville. It's Roseville beach, right? That's the correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'll make sure. I'm glad you did, Roseville Beach. I still haven't had a chance to pick it up or get in there, but I need I need to give myself a copy. So right Roseville. now, only the
1: quick start is out. Just to okay. make sure, like anyone listening is now, uh, we're expecting like the full thing to come out in July. Uh, you know, printers bearing with us, you know.
0: Will there be available copies after the backers are filled?
1: Or will Yeah, it be so print- one of the things we backed to was we were able to get a, a, like a, back to the point where I can afford a, a full offset print run. Mm -hmm. Uh, so the plan is to have a full offset print run so that we're, we're able to continue selling the book after it gets to backers. That's, that's generally true. I believe that everybody should fund, like, I don't want to tell anybody what to do or how to live their life, but I believe that everybody should fund their projects to the point that they're able to get things into people's hands going forward. Like it's never just like those hundred people need to look at the thing and then it's gone. Like I'm, I'm big on like, you know, the reason to fund it is to get more copies out there.
0: Yeah, I I I can't always
1: back stuff when there's
0: out. I, I try to back. I back. I, I I back probably more than I should sometimes, but I can't always do it. And sometimes, like stuff is like you know, I gotta wait a week before I can buy anything yeah. else, and yeah. and the Kickstarter ends before that paycheck gets deposited into my account. Yeah. I don't got the money there. So a lot of times, there's a lot of things. It'll, if there's something from someone I know that's gonna have it out like freely i'll I'll often just well, okay mm-hmm. I can pick this up at the game store whenever I got the money from free right. League. but some of the independent stuff it's not so easy to get a hold of that way but i it started going into something I had this uh I, one of the things I was thrilled about when I saw Roseville beach was I had this this vision in my head of this like, role-playing game i was rolling over in my head for a while before i ran into you and it was very much um inspired by plan nine from outer space what roger waters and all that stuff and i said Man, there needs to be a role-playing game like this where you can play these like poor and for some reason when I, when i saw roseville beach i was like this really hits this really hits what i was wanting to see and i was thrilled about it and i i went up and i told my fiance she was thrilled I was, we watch, she listens to the show occasionally. She checked out that's like you got to check out this episode. This 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 is the role playing game I wanted to see exist. You'll see the one I was telling you about. So I have to commend you on that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I really wanted to bring together that sort of like uh that over dramatic kind of early queer pulp literature mm-hmm. and re- and then uh and then connect that with uh like the Lovecraftian and I think the Plan 9 from Outer Space was those B movies from the fifties are really sort of the grounds where like you start to meet like really human characters and crowning these really terrible situations. Yeah. Cause certainly Lovecraft did not really care about any, anybody who was investigating a Lovecraftian monster. They were, they were about to lose their sanity and go to, and, and, you know, spend the rest of their lives hiding in the basement.
0: Early queer literature is a fascinating thing. And I'm not, I'm not an expert on it, but my, but my, my fiance is. She worked as a, what is it? A, she worked at she worked at a bookstore and then after the bookstore she right. worked at a secondhand store and it was one of those secondhand stores that focuses on collectibles and things like that and that was kind right. of big in certain collectible spheres those old pulp um pulp novel like those old I guess they call them pulp novels is that the correct term
1: yeah yeah because they were just on the same rack at the dime store as the westerns and the science fiction and the romances came out of the pulp. Like they were, that was you know kind of a subgenre. Pulp was the was sort of the usually the lesbian pulp up to the mid '60s, early '60s, mm-hmm. uh, and then you began to get like stuff with gay men in it. So
0: for at a point in time, like years ago, I would I had so much old just pulp novels, pulp fiction, just piles of, it, and I'd buy it. And the old stuff that you see it's it's actually going for substantial amounts of money now compared to what i picked pick some of that stuff up. At oh, yeah, yeah, You'd, yeah. You used to be able to get those books for a quarter, a dime some places, even like even, even in the 80s when there were, you know, books were more in 90s. I'd be like that stuff was it was nobody wanted it a lot of times. It felt like it was people's trash. Yeah. Yeah. I had so many that I like there was a point in time where it's like I'm moving from house to house and I have a lot of books. The first thing to go was the old paperbacks and in those paperbacks was a lot of really good stuff that now I look back I'm like oh, I could always get these anywhere for a quarter and now looking back it's like oh no you can't find that anywhere they're asking real money for these now that whole world changed yeah. and yeah. reprinting a lot of that stuff just isn't happening.
1: Some of the big name authors like Ann Bannon will get a re- like collected reprints every few years but a lot of the small like you know uh, Robert Merrill does a great podcast where he reads out old, specifically gay male focused stuff from the 60s, most of which is not getting any reprints. And a lot lot of it, like a lot of it is terrible. I mean, it's great to listen to Robert read it because you know, he's an hysterical narrator, but uh, a lot of it is just terrible and it's just disappearing. Like it's, it's, it's a and it's frustrating because it's, it's it even though it's not good, it's still kind of an important part of like queer history. Oh yeah, and the way gay men imagine themselves or kind of pictured themselves. So that you know, it's 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 still sort of a, a moment.
0: Yeah. No, like I got a huge stack. I've been I've bought other ones since I've gotten rid of my old. I buy a little old spy Like when there's piles of old pulp books and stuff like that, just in general, I'll pick them up. I got a ton of Marion Zimmer Black Bradley stuff that I had picked up. Some oh school. yeah, she started her out. Her career out from what I understand. I believe she was writing a lot of those old uh those old lesbian paperbacks and stuff like that back in the day. And then she made her transition over to like doing sci-fi. I don't know if she did it simultaneously or not.
1: You know yeah, I don't know because uh she she, you know, started out sort of the East Coast, lived in West Texas for a while because I lived in the and then moved out to uh the west coast and then you know became a terrible human being
0: yeah i've heard some of, i know I, i'm i'm not 100 aware of what and i don't think i want to i don't want to go the show but i had heard there were some questionable things that had occurred i probably need to look that up and find out i just
1: yeah and that it was definitely like a yeah there were there were definitely like you know really bad things that uh she was part of doing and then at first it just looked like she was kind of around it In the vicinity of it, and it became very clear from her kids that, like, no, she was sort of central to what was happening.
0: Yeah, that's 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 terrible to find out. And just that, just
1: yeah, she got
0: real big for a minute when she put out that that what is that one that that retelling of King Arthur? Oh,
1: yeah, the Mist of Avalon became like that huge part of like her career, and then of course, she was had been famous in sort of the, the fandom community for a long time. Was is just the creator of dark over.
0: Yeah. The dark over stuff is the stuff I'm the, I'm the, I've read the most of and seen the most of, and it was it's very appendix. And I don't think it was on the appendix in, but it's very appendix in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. In
0: that era. Cause, cause it was, it's that type of old, fantasy where fantasy and sci-fi was there was a blur on the lines it didn't really fit like nowadays there's like science fiction is science fiction fantasy is fantasy but like like a lot of the stuff that D D was built on a lot of those old appendix and books science fiction and fantasy were the same stinking thing half the time
1: <laughs> it was- right yeah it definitely and definitely during that pulp era when it was all just sort of spinner racks at the dollar store at the at the dime store like the dollar store would have been too expensive <laughs> yeah uh, yeah it was also all spinner racks at the at the dime store and it was just all like just stacks of stuff uh frequently not organized frequently not even like you know you flip through it and it would be different books behind other books and
0: i the two thing uh, the one thing I, I so i've got this aversion to going to the store mm. i don't go to stores I, I, well that's not true i do go to stores but i avoid it as much as possible and the bigger the store the less likely i want to go into it the smaller the store the more agreeable it is to me and so i do everything i can to avoid the stores the grocery i go into the most and 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 it's, and, and it's, i try to get in and out quick as i can i just have this huge aversion to go in the stores I don't, it's all kinds of just frustrations anyways but if you get me into a bookstore I spend hours just browsing. Now, it could be game a game bookstore or just a used bookstore or anything like that. That's my obsession. That's where I spend my time. That's where, and I have spent far too many hours. There was a point in time where I would make sure I'd hit up like, I have, I, w- I have routes that I would go to and check out all like, especially the used bookstores to see what they got in and what they have in stock and keep an eye. And I'd be up at some of them once a, once a, once a day, but once every other day, checking them, <laughs> spending way too much time looking at those shelves. It's probably embarrassing how much time I spent.
1: I, yeah. I miss the old paperback exchanges just because you know there was no, there was no online catalog. The clerk had no idea what was in the store, you know, I I really miss those places.
0: We had this place just up the street from, so I'm living now where I lived in the 90s. I moved away for many years and I came back. There was a place that used to be up on the street in the 90s that was very cluttered and used bookstore, piles of everything and very unorganized. I picked up the first printing of Animal Farm there for a quarter. (laughs) Holy crap i am not kidding you i i asked how much are these It's a couple of books that, and one of them was the first printing of animal farm and they just didn't even bother spending a whole lot of time and inv- was like oh, i guess just a quarter it looks kind of old i'm thinking by once it's like okay i'll take it <laughs> I was, didn't mention what i saw on the inside dust cover at that time maybe that's a little shady on my part i don't know but i was like oh ah. You're going to tell me (laughs) I'm putting it in front of you, the first printing of Animal Farms a quarter. I'll take it. The sad thing is I'm not exactly sure where it's at around here. (laughs) Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, no. (laughs) It's in
0: one of these shelves. Oh, we got way off of gaming. We need to get back. (laughs) So what have you been playing lately?
1: So I have been playing through uh, my friend Kat's kind of home hack of Trail of Cthulhu, and I've had a really great time. I'm the newcomer in that group. All of them have played. Uh, either the characters they're playing or like descendants of the characters they're playing for years. Uh, And I just decided to come in as the person who knew nothing about the supernatural, a linguist who uh, used to be in the Navy and, and uh, got booted for being a communist. And so
0: uh, (laughs) like,
1: so really just kind of getting to, getting to play around with uh, kind of the political the left wing sort of political conflicts in the 60s.
0: Oh, that's fun.
1: As sort of like the left was sort of trying to define itself and and kind of separate itself from the CPUSA and so that's been a lot that's been a lot of fun. It's 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 a group of if it's a group of of history nerds and we 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 have a blast uh just playing that. And then uh have uh, been playing City of Mist. Uh, oh, I, oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: How is that?
1: That is it is this beautiful connection between a 90s game and played by powered by the apocalypse, uh, (laughs) with a little dose of fate. Like there's just a lot of there's just kind of a lot of gaming tech. Mm -hmm. But there's I think a lot of the things that like made 90s games so great in retrospect is there's like a lot of you spend a lot of time building a character and a lot you spend (laughs) a lot of time making decisions about that character. And then most of them really don't matter. Like you, you're just ma- like just making the character as an act of play. Uh, and it's not even something you can optimize. You're just trying to really get into who this character is and what they're going to do. So that was, that's been a blast because I've already been on this sort of Robin Hood bench. I am playing uh my mythos is Will Scarlet, and my I am I am playing a muckraking journalist who uh, occupied by the, the mythos of Will Scarlet. So uh, that's great. That, is, that has been a blast to to really kind of to work on. So
0: well, let's go back. You said you were making something that was more focused on the Robin Hood thing. Yeah. I have I have that one. I have one Robin Hood game. It's made for Swords and the Wizardry. I think the the white box, and and I've never busted really? it out. But yeah, it's really neat book. It's a hardback. And it's, it's got different classes for, like, essentially OD&D, like, that fit the Robin Hood story more. Uh, and, like, I, I can't remember what the classes were, but they were very different from what we're used to from D&D. It, it seems like a neat approach, a, a kind of a more um, historical,
1: like, historically grounded take.
0: So I'm curious to what, you're, what it is you're doing over there.
1: <laughs> Yeah, so I started with kind of the base rules of Enoch's Wake, which is my kind of science fantasy game. That I, I jokingly, when I started Enoch's Wake, I was like, "What if we use the old D and D spelljammer setting, and the old, technically AD and D spelljammer setting?" And then, but uh, instead of using the AD and D rules, we use the rules of Traveller.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting uh, mix there. That would work. I can see where you're coming from.
1: <laughs> I was like, you know, let's let's see, like, you know, because I think the fun thing for me about Traveller is you really get a sense of. What factions are in the world, even though Traveler doesn't give a lot of names to the factions, but how you connect to them and what you've learned from them and sort of where you came from. Traveler spends a ton of time on that, and that's really kind of what I wanted to play with there like who are you and where did you come from and, and what did you learn from that uh and then there's also fin- fun, some fun stuff that traveler did very early on like really early on settled on like the fixed difficulty for everything yeah and then, you know situations provide modifiers but they don't shift the difficulty shows up a little bit in classic traveler and then like further editions of traveler really kind of honed in on submitted that where you're really going for that magic number eight on 2d6 really kind of one of the first game systems to really sort of hit that like fixed difficulty. And then also because traveler kind of provokes kind of one of the first systems that really kind of provoke a death spiral. Mm-hmm. like as things get bad, they keep getting worse. Yes. and then uh so you gotta like you know that and that provokes two things. it's a it's it's for those of us who like a slightly more naturalistic game, uh that's really compelling. but also like for people who have a like a little more narrative focus and i I, I kind of like stand kind of halfway through like the the very simulation focus side of the OSR and halfway in the kind of very narrative PBTA world, or then, you know, just the general narrative world for the, the kind of focus of that spotlight time, like, oh my gosh, I am so messed up and so out of resources. And I have got to like rely on you to do this next thing, even though that's not your like skill pool necessarily, like we're like we're all relying on you now. And so that was that's, that's really fun for me to play and really kind of wanted to play with that. And did some of that in Enox week and sure would really let me sort of push on that a little bit, getting a little bit more grounded in some stories I've loved since childhood, spent a lot more time reading them, kind of bring those aspects together to kind of play out. Uh, and then of course, everything in that, uh, in that you do in a Robin Hood game, or most things you do in a Robin Hood game are very heist focused. Are very what focused? Are very heist focused. Like you're, you're getting in, you're stealing the stuff and getting out. Like you don't, uh, I always joke that like a dungeon is just a heist with other people living in it. Dungeon is just a heist with a mostly empty space, and you know, a heist is just a dungeon where in a, somebody's house.
0: It seems to me like the Robin Hood. Like if I were going to make a straight up Robin Hood game, probably the most, most the one class that that should exist for the Rob, for if uh-huh. we were going to just do a historic Robin Hood itself, is um, a brigand. Perhaps we should create a brigand class instead of always being the baddies. <laughs> I think yeah. I need that in my D D. Where's the brigand class,
1: yeah, exactly, uh, yeah that like that 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 not just the outlaw, not just the thief, but like the person who's like shows up and says, like, all right, now you can mess with me or you just can give me your stuff, like the person who's just about scaring people, yeah, not about being quiet, not about anything else, just about like yeah. Know,
0: and as I remember, like the old Robin Hood movies and stuff like that, they'd always show up like, oh, give me your stuff. And they'd be stopping the stagecoach.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The yeah. Threat.
0: Like, yeah. So what skills does the brigand get? I don't know. I, it's always just been there are one D so many brigands. Here's their stats. And we fight them. And they're kind of like goblins or something half the time. But no, I think that we need a class now that I think about this. I would appreciate
1: it. <laughs> so I, I went classless with this because I was I was more focused on the traveler style like life path. Yes. So, that you know, you kind of pick a very simple kind of like once I grew up, I went to this kind of career path. And and then but uh, one fun thing that I, I realized is that like there's no more of this like did I survive? Did something bad happen question? Like eventually something happens that makes it impossible for you not to be an outlaw. And if one of the one of the quotes I really want to put at the front of the book is from a British novelist named Lavi Tiddar who recently did uh, a, a really fantastic Robin Hood novel that's not out in the United States yet, just called The Hood, that I was able to kind of finagle an audio book out of the internet, legally paid for, but still like, a, you know, no, everyone was like, oh, you're not supposed to buy this in the United States. I was like, let's see if this works. <laughs> like just talks about like, you know, no one wants to go to Sherwood to be an outlaw. Uh, and I can't remember the quote. It's uh, that no one wants to go to Sherwood to be an outlaw, but eventually things lead you here. So it's like, oh, instead <laughs> of instead of this possibility of death or you know of, of bad things happening, eventually something's going to happen in your career that's going to push you to becoming an outlaw.
0: I've said this before, and, and, and maybe I haven't said it on here. I used to I used to run a political blog at one point in time, <laughs> uh-huh. and, and that was I did that for a long time. But one thing I said there is the vast majority of us in our current system and society are outlaws to some extent. Most of us have done something that
1: we could get a fine for or arrested for just nonchalantly on a day-to-day basis under our existing laws. Yeah. And that's a, that's definitely, you know, something I wanted to play with. I was certainly like, as, as I get more exhausted and exasperated by like the constantly stymied progress of, of American life. I, I I was I was certainly like inspired by like socialist and feminist readers of the Robin Hood myth. I was really like in love. I don't know if I've ever I've ever got to talk to you about this. I was really like in love. I discovered that uh that the 1950s Robin Hood TV series with uh Richard Green, uh, that was produced by Hannah Weinstein, was filmed in Britain specifically so they could hire blacklisted writers. And the studio apparently got money from the CPUSA.
0: You know what, I, that's crazy cool I want to see that, I, I've never seen it I'm aware of its existence
1: it's a, it's a very sort of like saccharine television Robin Hood for most parts But several ports. you're like
0: I, I mean, Robin Hood is the perfect place If you have some sort of like yeah. Leftist leaning politic Especially if it's Marxist or anarchist yeah. Inspired, then Robin Hood is probably a good one to look at Sometime or what you're
1: yeah yeah so that was that was a lot of fun to like sort of dig into for a bit uh and then of course i think the one that both you and i probably are old enough to experienced while it was before even before the internet was robin of sherwood uh the 80s show with michael Prade and jason connery in the lead role i'm trying
0: to remember i uh, most of the robin hood i remember from a kid were
1: films oh gotcha gotcha yeah Oh, that is, that was an 80s ITV TV show in Britain. And then it, you know, kind of slowly made its way on VHS. Okay. Oh, I may have
0: seen that then if it was, if it was British. I, so I've said this, I've said this three times today on three different recordings, I think. Yeah. But I was really into British television as a kid in the 80s. Oh, yeah. Because I watched Doctor Who on PBS and that got me sucked into all the shows they show before and after. It's like to this day, like, BritBox Box is like one of the two streaming services I pay money for to subscribe to. And and I'm really into that. So I'm definitely gonna have to go back and see if I can track that down. Maybe I have seen that at some point in time. I can't recall.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it is definitely like, and it is it is uh it is just a real like Klana did the did the music for the whole series? Yeah, like, it's so 80s. It is just so 80s. There's lots of fog machines everywhere. What was the? What was the? Was it? Was it just called Robin Hood, or was it was called? It was called Robin of Sherwood. Robin of Sherwood. I'm gonna have to check
0: that one out. I have to check both of them out now. I feel like I might be ended. Up, might end up
1: on a on a Robin Hood <laughs> rabbit. Robin Welcome, Robin Hood. like yeah. Now I, I, I once I got bit, I like have to drag other people down with me. So you know,
0: yeah, and like steal from the rich and give it to the poor idea was eh. yeah yeah They're outlaw you criminal you evil criminal <laughs>
1: never got settled out until i think the 16th century as that specific thing but it you know you, throughout the whole like early ballads there's like the you know robin hood invites somebody to dinner who's being sort of screwed over by the system and then sort of fixes it for them
0: so let me ask let me ask this the robin hood legend or myth and this I don't know because I haven't looked it up. I just know Robin Hood just from you know being peripheral to it, always seeing movies and stuff like that out there in yeah. different books. So was there it was it just sort of a, a random thing that was like passed down through oral tradition till it got written down, is what I take it. Is there
1: so I know we know and this is only recently that I've gotten really dug into like the history of the legend, not just mm-hmm. like the history of the Not just like the stories, but the history of where the stories come from. But I know that we know that uh, they at least date to the 13th century, or at least in the 13th century, we start seeing people use Robin Hood as a name. Yeah. Like frequently like uh, thieves or people who were bandits would use it as like a trade name. Like I'm I'm Mitch Robin Hood, you know, Hmm. and like much like you might be like Bill Miller or, you know, something like that. Uh, and then we know like in the, in the 14th century, we start getting references to the songs of Robin Hood and stories of Robin Hood frequently alongside stories that we have no extant memory of. Like we have no memory of like, we have no knowledge of what they refer to. Uh, but Robin Hood and then 15th century is when like, we start getting physical copies of the ballads and plays like written down.
0: Really? Yeah. Now, now, yeah, yeah, this, this is sent me, going to be sending me to it down a rabbit hole. I,
1: I, I don't welcome to the rabbit hole, Shane. <laughs>
0: you, you you dragged me into it. And now I'm fascinated too. just, just the whole. And when did you say the steal from the rich, give to the poor element? Came into around the
1: 16th century. It's 16th when we start century. thinking of Robin hood as like a, it's, it's when we start thinking of Robin hood as a, as a, as a noble. So he kind of comes into the life of an outlaw as a wealthy person in the 16th century. And by the 17th century, he starts like giving away money, in large sums. Now he's always like the legend. He's always generous, but then like most our crime stories, like the, anytime we have a criminal hero, they're generous with their money. I study, I'm a big history buff and I read a lot of real world stuff, but
0: like I'll point someone out in reality who is often considered one of the biggest criminals of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest uh, drug dealers is old. What's his name in, in Columbia, Um, Pablo Escobar. Okay. And Pablo Escobar, did wonderful things to the people or for the people, right, yeah. Like housing, and he brought a lot of resources to people who were suffering.
1: I mean, very Robin Hood, if you ask me. <laughs> okay, yeah, and then like any time a, a, a like a notorious outlaw becomes sort of a folk hero, we start attributing stories of their generosity to them, even though they may not be factual stories. Like you know, mm-hmm. when the when Jesse James became kind of famous as an outlaw people started repeating stories about like Jesse James giving, giving away, you know, lots of money and helping people. But that's also sort of like how organized that's also how crime works is like, you know, you can get away with it because you convince people to help you because you're taking care of them in ways that like the, the established system won't.
0: Yeah. Well, and and the ones who win are the established system 90% of the time. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, work about coming up on time. Yeah. 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 Uh, Good. Do you think you could
1: tell our listeners where they can find your work and find you online? The best place to find me is under rook Studio at Itch, and I can send you a link for the show notes. Yes, do that. it would be helpful. <laughs> you can usually find me on Twitter as uh, a r r underscore r o o, and I also send that link in the show notes. And uh, oh. at our uh, like I'll, I'll send you, I'll send you the whole set of links for the show yeah. notes. but uh Actually. find me on Twitter as Arrook. Uh, or on itch as our work studio excellent and as always if you've enjoyed what you've heard here today please give us a positive
0: review wherever you're listening and those of you that have thank you so much we're on facebook you search wildlies and wizards wildlies and wizards.com is our blog i'm on twitter at logar hail we could really use the support on patreon patreon.com backslash wildlies and wizards those of you that are currently supporting us i want to thank you so much for that help. And As always, keep those dice rolling.